All right, Kiss Army. Welcome to the Kiss FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today. Nothing is into your head. I hope you don't do any damage. This is a Kiss-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to episode 82 of the Kiss FAQ Podcast. I'm your host today, Jillian Gill, admin on the Kiss FAQ message board. And joining me today are Marcus Almighty. Mark, welcome back, sir. Hello. Lonnie, St. Louis Kiss. Hello. And the voice of reason, Ken, 69th Blizzard. Gentlemen, good to see you. We're going to pick up an old topic that we've... uh... Actually, before we get to the topic, let's do some headlines. The tour. It's doing well. Got the first box score today for anyone who cares about that sort of stuff. And Edmonton the other day. I think that's the 12th. They pulled 8,500 of... 10,290, 81% sold for a gross of just over 550,000 US. That's a pretty decent um, tour gross, especially, you know, it's in line with everything they've done over the last few years in the States. So uh, I think it looks positive. Yeah. The shows shows seem to be going well when Gene doesn't fall down. Yeah. (laughs) No, I saw that. I was gonna say, I hope he's feeling better because that looked like a really hard crash there. Yeah, that's, said, that was not, they that were was really not nice. A hard time. Huh? They said they were that the crew was really giving him a hard time that night and the next couple of days about it after it happened. Yeah, I feel His bad for him. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad he you know didn't break a tailbone or anything because he did go down like a big lump, um, a very spinal tapish, having the guys run on stage to help prop him back up. So. Uh, I don't, yeah. I don't think Gene will ever say anything about Ace falling over again, but uh, glad he's okay, and obviously mm-hmm. the rock rolls on. Tommy and Paul didn't run over to him and like play their guitars over him like it's part of the show, you know? <laughs> it would have taken too long for him to run over there. Yeah, he's just, he's just lucky like a flash pot wasn't about to go off where he fell in the wrong location. So, no so Gene's all right. The tour continues. They They... Haven't really been changing up the set list much in the last few days. Um, no. You know what? It's still a damn good set now. You know, Flaming Youth, I'm jealous. I would love to hear that live, so it, okay. it, it continues. They're not going to play The Oath. Okay. Or Trial <laughs> by Fire. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Julian. <laughs> All right, let's get into today's topic. Uh, as I said, it's one that we've kind of uh, had two parts on already. It's uh, them changes. It's the little changes and things that we'd like to do to the released albums to make them even more perfect than they are. And the last time I wasn't on the episode, the guys kindly left us to start off with the album that got me hooked on Kiss, of all things. And that is Asylum. So, mm. Nice jacket. Yeah. I got three things to say about that. <laughs> yeah, it has not, not it has not dated very well, but you know, oddly, you know, I, I think that's the first thing we I would change personally about Asylum, and that is just the vis, the visuals, the costumes. They mm-hmm. don't need they don't need to look like Twisted Sister, and the album cover. It has just caused so much aggro over the years that I don't think the album ever gets a fair listening by people who don't simply like the image of the band. The music on it, yeah, there's a couple of dud tracks for me, but I wouldn't even change them because all in all, I find it a very unified album. It's just the image. I would love if we could go back in time and put them in maybe, you know, just leather. If they were just doing a tough street leather kind of thing and hadn't gone all Motley Crue into his sister, then I think they would have uh, 
probably had a better reaction to that album. What do you guys think? I'm going to go to Ken first. Yeah, well, the my first reaction is when I first bought that album on the day it came out. Uh, <clears throat> I know it was Tower Records. I remember it. Um, and I, <laughs> I looked at it like, what the heck did they do? You know, what's with this album cover? It's like, oh, my, oh my gosh. It's like a... <laughs> I, I was hoping the music was better than what I was seeing on the front. Um, and, uh, yeah, the presentation was kind of goofy. I, I, you know, and actually the picture inside or on the back of the cover is actually better. So uh, that presentation was okay. I mean, we started seeing those videos and uh, with the their outfits and it was kind of what, you know, what are you doing here? <laughs> But fortunately, the music was is good, and and uh, I you know didn't have a problem. The music was most of the album was pretty darn good, and the sounds pretty good. They did a pretty decent production on it, and uh, but the album cover is just uh, I would have changed that for sure. <clears throat> so listen with your ears and not with your eyes, folks. Lonnie, what do you say? It's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think we're all going to echo the same sentiment about the album cover is just atrocious looking and it's it's not it's you know it i guess it's dated for for the time but you know it, it's just atrocious looking and i think people even even in and it hasn't aged well either it was bad then and it's bad now and i think not that people buy cds anymore either so that my argument's going to be kind of void but i remember being you know, a teenager and going back and getting some of these albums that I didn't buy when they came out. I like, oh, I mean, you. I would look at a sign like, oh, I can skip that one that I um, I haven't bought. You know, I haven't bought uh, look it up yet. Let me buy that. That one just, you know, listening with your eyes, it it looks better than than Asylum does. You know what I mean? And I I think that that held true. Not only when the album came out, but as far as people going and, and getting back catalog stuff when, when people still bought CDs, I guess now if you're going to go get Kiss the Sound, you're just going to download, I mean, I guess people who don't have it are just going to download it on iTunes most of, the, most of the time anyway, unless you're a guy like a lot of us are and still have to have the hard copy CD or, or vinyl version of a record. But and, and if you're going on iTunes, you can at least preview it and say, oh, this doesn't sound as bad as the album cover looks so for me you know i think the back cover is bad looking too but at the same time i think that back album cover the band looks a whole lot even the picture of them looks a whole lot better than the way they display themselves on on the videos so i'm kind of with with julia on that i mean i really like some of the songs on there like i really like king of the mountain i mean it's a it's a great song to work out to it's a great song to get you fired up and I really like Love's a Deadly Weapon, even, and I may be in a minority on that, but it's a, a really fun song. And I I wouldn't change a whole lot of the music, but I, I, I if you're going to change anything about Asylum, the first thing you do is change the art, change the artwork and just change the presentation of the band. You know, if they just, I wish they would have, you know, just stuck with, like you said, like just a black leather look like of what, you know, maybe just like what a Metallica was, like a primitive Metallica was doing almost at the time, you know, and just instead of going hair bandish and Twisted Sister and mm -hmm. following what Kiss does yeah, best yeah. and following the trends. So for me, it's 
it's, it's presentation. I'm right there with you. Yeah, and you know what? As, as far as the look goes, they were doing the same thing everyone else seemed to be doing. Look at oh, Twitch, yeah. look at Twitch's sister in '84. Um, Motley Crue also went that route and went. Gla- and I mean, Motley looked even worse. I, I gotta at least say, <laughs> you know, even as bad as Gene looks in the Asylum era, and this is his lowest point visually for me. I mean, it's B. Arthur experience. Um, Motley Crue just looks absolutely stupid in the Theater of Pain period. Um, Especially Nikki, but it must be something about bass players. Um, and, and then you got other bands like Wasp that also gone this route. And, and seeing Wasp all glammed up was a very scary thing. I think totally wrong. Yeah. Totally wrong. Mark, what's your what's your take on this? Well, as most people know, this is my favorite non-makeup Kiss record. So for me, there's nothing really too much wrong with this record. Um, the cover. I agree with everybody could have been a lot better, obviously. Um, the one thing about the production I didn't like about this, and probably the only thing I didn't like about it, is I didn't like the excessive use of reverb that Paul Stanley and them used on this record. I mean, it's I know it's very much of the time that there was a lot of albums that were reverb heavy at this point and stuff like that, but I really thought that they would have maybe took that knob and just turned it down just a hair. It might have been a little bit more punchier and might have actually dated a little bit better and wouldn't have stood out so much as a mid 80s late 80s record it would have probably you know just been a really good kiss record um with that said um the one thing about this record that i'm going to talk about just really quickly is i think they did one thing really good with this record they did the Animalize tour, and from what I've read in many different sources whether this is true or not i don't know but um i've heard that when they were done the tour they pretty much just went home for like about a few weeks and got right back into the studio and started working on Asylum, which I think really was a great idea. And I got to commend Paul and those guys for doing that because I think they took the momentum of that tour because they did start picking up their audience again because Animalize did do pretty good, right? So they started picking up crowds again. And I think they started feeling that something was starting to happen. So they went in with a probably a lot better frame of mind. And I think it really showed on the songs. I think that they had a good energy with it because they didn't wait around like half a year before they went back in. It didn't, the momentum didn't die in their, you know, in the feeling of when they went to write the songs. And I think that it really benefited the songwriting. I think that that's one thing that they should have kept in their heads for future song, a future album, sorry, when they were, you know, going to go in and do stuff to maybe just go in right after. Right. You, you know, I'll agree with you on that. I think uh, Gene's songs as well are a vast improvement on the previous album. So, you know, from that perspective, you know, it, it was definitely building on something. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Before we move on to the next one, I just want to add in at this point, the next album really should be Kiss Alive 3 because... I was right. always of the belief yeah. that, you know, as a new fan, when I looked back at Asylum, Animalize, and Lick It Up being the albums that came before it, it just felt like the right time to have a live album next when you saw that Kiss had done its first live album after three albums. For me, you know, just going back to the the non-makeup period. Excuse me, i got to go. Lonnie, can you take over for me? UPS. So, I think, yeah, I, I'm on board with what Julian's saying in that... <laughs> And what do you guys think? And that those three albums kind of in a row, look it up. The first three album, non-makeup albums in a row, were kind of like a 
are kind of relate to each other. Like Mark said, they got off the Animalized tour, went right in and wrote Asylum. And, you know, people consider those two albums like like sister albums, like a lot of people consider like Lick It Up and Creatures of the Night kind of sister albums mm-hmm. as well. So, and before they really go into even more of a change with Crazy Nights being more of a, maybe a Bon Jovi type album almost, you could, you could call it. You know, I, th- I think in a live three right there would worked really well with the band having played a lot of shows on the Asylum tour. You know, the band had gelled with Bruce on guitar with Eric on the drums for a while at this point. It would have been nice to hear an Alive 3 filled with a lot of those 80 songs at that point instead of what we ended up getting on the Revenge Tour. So, yeah, I, I totally was, I agree. Sorry about that. I was just echoing what you said that I thought it would have been a great time actually for that because of the sister albums that people say Analyze and Asylum are and before they really jump ship well, and get Bon Jovi-ish with Crazy Nights. Yeah, yeah, they could have pulled. They could have pulled from you know even not just those three albums, but they could have uh, oh, no. pulled pulled music from Cre- the Creatures tour, yeah. the Lick It Up tour, and all the way up to yeah, Asylum and even Dynasty, even because you know even even Dynasty and Unmasked technically, definitely. yeah. You know, you look but, at what uh, some of the set lists were in the period. I think Animalized Live Uncensored, I mean, is a good a good representation of live in that period. Yeah, it's too damn fast now for a lot of people's tastes, but, you know, add on yeah. the songs that they're kind of doing in the Asylum tour, and you've got you've got a good reason to have a break, That which is what they wanted for, you know, the, what became the Crazy Nights album. So let's go into yeah. that one. And this was a heartbreaker of an album for me. It... It's obviously the first album I bought new as a Kiss fan. And I remember, you know, I was living in Binghamton, upstate New York at the time, and getting on my bike and riding down to Music City in uh, in downtown Binghamton to get the album. And I'd been calling them every, is there a new Kiss album? Oh, is there a new Kiss album? And they're like, shut the fuck up, you know, go away. You know, you annoying Kiss fan. And finally, it's out. I get on my bike, I ride down there. It's like five miles from my house. And I get it. And I've got my Walkman. And I put the tape in, and it starts playing. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm like, what the hell? You know, I've, I've by that time I've gone back through the catalog, and I know that Kiss is cool. You know, I've got, I know they've got a great back catalog. Yeah. And yeah. I've, I've experienced the rebuilding process of them as a band. So what would we change here? Um, number one, life is not a radio. Do not turn up your vocals to ten. Um, I would, I would. The first thing I would do, and maybe it resonates a little bit with Paul Stanley today and his voice, is get his glass-shattering, catawalling vocals down into a more comfortable range. I can't listen to a lot of that stuff now simply because of the vocals. My way, which was actually a song I thought was one of the better ones on the album. Back in the day, I, I find too high pitched. I, I just find it too reaching, too trying to be a what? Who is it? Jim Gillette, Nitro. You know, <laughs> you, you know, the, the the vocal the vocal orgasms. It's just it's just too over the top. Material wise, um, and again, I'm one of the people who've heard the demos of, of Crazy Nights and When Your Walls Come Down and some of the other Paul songs. They're tough and ballsy in their demo form. I would not. I would get rid of Nevison out of the picture. He polished mm-hmm. the shit out of them, and I know that's what they band, the band wanted. He delivered exactly what they asked for. 
So it's no blame on him. I just think it's the totally wrong thing to do to that material. It is perfectly fine as hard rocking, and it is really not very good trying to sound like a hard album. Let heart be heart. Exactly. And, and kiss be kiss. So we, I, I would then also say that the rear album cover has to go. Um, I do not want to see Paul's mankini like ever. I, I just don't need to see it or his chest rug. I, I just don't want to. It's, huh. no so huh. i'm I'm gonna go straight to mark with this one as he as he was nodding his head a little bit so mark yeah, crazy well, nights well like i said um this this album has always been the victim of the wrong producer i mean for a record that they waited for over a year and almost completely bankrupted themselves personally waiting to do it I mean, they should have maybe looked a little harder. I mean, I know that they he had a good record going in, having done Ozzy's record and stuff like that, and and it really turned Ozzy around, so why wouldn't it turn Kiss around, right? But I just think that there was other people that could have did better for them at that point. They needed more somebody like a Tom Worman or somebody more like a Keith Olsen or somebody who at that point was along that track of music but could have still gave them a little bit more of a heavier thing, but kept their commercial flair to it. I mean, Keith Olsen did some wonders with White Snake and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I mean, that self-titled White Snake record was like a complete, like through the roof hit, right? And I mean, that's not exactly like the heaviest record. It's very commercial. There's lots of stuff in it, but it also has great guitars and really cool drums and stuff like that. And that's the kind of stuff that Kiss needed in their songs you know they didn't need it to be like you said a heart record or a really polished over the top top 20 kind of you know geared record that they they it just needed to be kiss but kiss for the times and while they did try to do that with nevison i just think that he 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 just he just wasn't the right guy it's not that he isn't a good producer he's just not he's just the wrong producer for a kiss they needed somebody who knew a little bit more about the street cred kind of stuff and who can make it a little bit more harder. I just think that I, I keep, I keep thinking, you know, Keith Olsen or Tom Worman for sure. Cause I mean, Worman just did girls, girls, girls then too. Right. Which is not exactly the best Motley crew record, but it definitely has a bit more balls than crazy nights does. Right. Yeah. But it, it's, I think it still <laughs> suffers from some of the same things that we're talking about with kisses album, that it's overly polished the Motley sound, but, you know, it 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 took. I, I guess it took their sound back from. They they were completely yeah. over polished for theater, and it took them a little bit away from that. But uh, you know, Nevison was the guy Paul Stanley wanted to produce his solo album in '78, and couldn't get him. So mm. it, it, it's one mm. of those strange things, kind of that. I guess Paul got his wish, but I, I don't think it's the tool. He's the he's the tool. It's the instruction set. The tool was given. Yeah, but I mean, you know, like, but if you listen to like Girls, for example, I mean, you know, like songs like Wild Side, like that, those guitars are pretty rip roaring, okay, on that song, much more than anything that was on Crazy Nights. You know what I mean? I mean, I know yeah. that they, it did it did suffer similar problems, but like I like you said just now, I mean, compared to Theater of Pain, this is a really much more heavier record, and it and it suited their whole motor going back to the motorcycles and Harley kind of thing, and I think that. Kiss were should have maybe tried to lean more to that direction. I think again, it's more Kiss kind of our you know always do something you know about a year behind everybody kind of thing, right? So, but I I definitely think that the record could have been good. They had a lot of decent songs on there, 
it was just a matter of if they would have had the right guy to kind of, you know, polish them up, maybe made them look at it a little bit harder, maybe polish up a few things here and there, like song structure wise, it would have been a bit better. Yeah, agreed. Ken, what say you? Yeah, I, I wrote notes down for this uh, weeks ago before I think our second uh, episode of this. And um, I wrote for a producer, uh, I was thinking Bruce Fairbairn at that time. I was thinking, get him at that time, he was doing pretty well. And I think he'd a little bit, definitely be harder edged than um, the Nevison well, yeah. was. Yeah, you know? yeah, he was working on good records then. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that would have been the good time to have him right at that time. And uh, again, I agree. I do agree with you, John, about the vocals. I mean, Paul Stanley is like, what? You know, he's I guess getting getting ready for a Phantom or of the Opera or something. You know, <laughs> he's practicing his his range, full range. Um, but I think that could have. Uh, I think that could have. You know, probably messed his vocals up down the line where it's you know 2009 or 8 or whatever started to go uh it may have contributed to the you know his vocal problems today um but uh, yeah i would have definitely lowered the vocals um and then the song you know the songs were, were well written songs they're good songs Extremely. but again mm-hmm. it's it's just it's just a production thing uh, I would have rather have had Gene with the more. So he he toned down his vocals too uh, for his songs. So we don't have the you know the more the Cookie Monster or like you say uh, vocals. Um, you kind of want the more mean vocals from Gene. Uh, so yeah, and then the back cover. If we're talking about marketing of that thing, uh, the front cover I was okay with it, but the the back cover is like I didn't need. To see some of the uh, those shots, I guess they, I'm sure they had other shots they could have put in for Paul instead of, <laughs> instead of the one they used. So I, you know, I don't know. But uh, again, yeah, Bruce Fairbairn, I, I thought would have been the guy. You know what, though? Can I just say one thing really quickly? Um, as far as what you mentioned about the vocals, I think that's a very critical point that you brought up because. At this time, you know, Paul Stanley is getting into, what, his middle 30s, maybe mid-30s at that point. And, you know, at this point, the voice starts changing as you get older, right? And while he's still excellent and could hit every kind of note imaginable at that point, I think it would have been smart and the right producer would have maybe brought this up is to start thinking long-term with these songs. Because if you're going to try to attempt to do these songs 20 years from now or 10 years from now, can you do this? And he can't, you know? And I mean, a lot of producers done that with other bands. They did that a little bit, a little bit with Aerosmith. They did that with Rush, definitely. They told Getty to tame it down a bit with some of his singing because, you know, in 2010, you're not going to be able to sing like he did on 2112, right? And that's the thing, you know? So... You have to kind of take that approach. And I think Paul, again, probably thought, you know, hey, man, I'm going to sing like this forever, you know. So he probably didn't even take that approach seriously. And maybe the right guy didn't get in his ear to maybe think about that. But I thought he should have thought about that around that time. Well, if you were to listen to that, he's he's straining, I mean, to get to some of that stuff. And to continue to do that is just it's just crazy. It's hard in the voice. I think that, I think that's a great point, and you know it goes to sh- to show why they don't play a lot of these '80s songs anymore, other than maybe the popularity of some of these '80s songs. But I think 
that plays a large role in the song selection that they play today is the fact that, you know, Paul can't sing some of these songs anymore um, in 2016 versus, you know, what, what we were doing before. So I think, I think that does play, that plays a major role in it. That I think that's an excellent point, Mark, that maybe you should, we could have looked and, at the same time, too, they might not have thought Kiss is going to be playing in 2016 either. <laughs> it's true. You know. There's no way they thought they'd still be going. I really can't see... At this point. I, I, I don't have images of Paul Stanley sitting there doing the set list for the Freedom to Rock tour and saying, Hey, Gene, do you want to do Bang Bang You? You, you, <laughs> you know, I just don't see it even... You want to bring that No, back? no, no. <laughs> no, and you know, yeah. I was shocked when they brought Crazy Nights, Crazy Crazy Nights, back into the set. Oh yeah, was, uh, that that just to me because I was in England at the time when that was a freaking hit. I I just hate it. I I, I hate that song. <laughs> I love the demo. I hate the the song they released. Love the, the demo. So go figure. Um, anything else you want to change, Lonnie? Well, obviously, I'm going to echo the sentiment of of the, the back cover. I think it's. You know they 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 look a little a bit ridiculous. They look at least they're not continuing. At, at least you can say this that you know they're off the asylum tour and they're not. They've at least changed their look a little bit. That we're not we're not sticking with that. At least they're they're showing that. I w- I will give them that. But you know I, I don't need to see a a gentleman in his in his mid thirties showing showing. I'm not even I'm not even going to pull that album out to show you that. I don't <laughs> Thank <wanna>. you. <laughs> put you through that yeah but but i mean as bad as the back cover is and we've all said that the front cover is excellent i love the, the front of the cover um and it's one of my it's one of my favorite non-makeup album covers and you know the songs are are good but there's there are some clunkers in there as well and i think i would have put in hide your heart on this album as opposed to oh yeah you know saying oh no hide your heart we're not going to put that on, but we're going to leave Bang Bang You on. I, that Hide Your Heart doesn't hold up, but Bang Bang You and When Your Walls Come Down, that, that that's where it's at. And Hide Your Heart, well, that, that that's just not good enough to make it. I don't know who the hell is making that decision. Um, and whoever it was should have been fired because that's unbelievable to me. And had you released Hide Your Heart when you did, you might have had a, a bigger hit on your hand instead of waiting to release it on Hot in the Shade when you have multiple people recording the same multiple people recording and releasing the same song so not only the back cover and the product and i'll i thought your guys decided about the production as well i mean it's the production is almost unlistenable um on some you know it's it's just really bad i i really wish they would have just made a straight up rock record instead of being kissed and, and following trends at that point so yeah, I think if there's there's two songs on this album that are clunkers, it's Bang Bang You and No 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 for me. And if you just swap those out for Sword and Stone and Hide Your Heart, absolutely. Then you know, yeah, you lose one Gene no. song, but so what? You know, the other the other Gene songs on this are you know they're decent enough. You know, there's I I do like Good Girl Gone Bad and yeah. you know his uh, Thief in the Night's also good. So yeah. I I think Gene had continued. I mean, it, it it's nothing exceptional, but it's perfectly adequate. Um, I quite like his vocals on this, you know, when he's kind of singing a, a little bit more softly rather than growling his way. It suits the material better. So, you know, those those would be the changes that make. And also the, the, the legendary, are you always this hot? Just because I have no idea what it sounds like. And it, I'm sure we could take out another Paul vocal and put that one in just for the sake of it. It's a good title. 
Yeah, <laughs> great, great title. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was just a, a disappointment for me. But you know, I'm over it. No, I'm not. But I'm used to it. No, <laughs> it does not. sound like it. <laughs> <laughs> Liar. <laughs> Let's go into the best-selling album of the 1980s. There you go. The double platinum smashes, thrashes, and hits. Dear God, get a nice pick for my eyes. Uh, yeah, you know, it's Crazy Nights era. I, th- I think, you know, as far as the band image goes on the front, apart from Paul and his right. uh, silly little hand thing. I don't know what Singing that Singing hands. Yeah, or Peacock, or whatever. Gene looks good. You know, the band looks good. But uh, what would I change about this album? I think... I would get rid of the two songs Paul brought to the show. Um, both of those are completely yep. disposable. I, I would take two other Kiss songs and put them on, and mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't put Shock Me on there and have Bruce sing it. Um, I, I would pick two more classics. Yeah. Like like the one... What did they put on in England? They put... Uh, what? Reason to Live and Crazy Nights. Okay. Maybe that doesn't quite work. <laughs> Bit of Never floor, mind. A floor of my logic, but I would get rid of the new songs and put "Hide Your Heart" on there. There you go. Yeah, how about "Hide Your Heart" and "Sorted yeah, Song." Yeah, that could have been the yeah, yeah the bonus song. Sorted. Uh, those still the, still didn't make the cut <laughs> for those. You know, I, I got to hand it to the band. And back in the day when this album did come out, I was excited. Oh, two new songs. You know, I remember reading Kerrang! And, oh, they're, you know, we're, we're in the studio. I think they were out there for Ritz and Donington in 88, and they were talking about doing some studio work and uh, doing the new songs. Like, oh, great, great, you know. And I'd get rid of Beth. Sorry, Eric. I, that's just, yeah. it, it's just wrong. Yeah. I, I, I don't care how desperate he was to get in the studio. It's just wrong. Um, you know, so I I would only be dealing with those three new new tracks and getting rid of them, Lonnie. Well, I agree with you about the three tracks. You know, and like I said about Sword in the Stone or Hydra Heart. How about how about those instead of Rock Hard and Let's Put the X in Cycle? I mean, two just atrocious and and embarrassing songs, in my opinion, are pretty much unlistenable. And for me, a lot of the album is unlistenable too. I hate the remixes of of the songs on here, the way they're really, the way they're really just drummed down, no pun intended, drummed down. But, you know, and you get to think about the landscape of music by late 88 when this came out too, you know, um, like Appetite for Destruction had really hit hard at this point. It was, had been the number one album in the country and the, the hardcore glam stuff had really started to fade and we're getting more into a, a rock feel and and i know the album sold well you know by putting out these these songs you know people buying them maybe some people buying them on cd for the first time um and it what the good thing about this album too is what it, it brought kiss back to playing those classics on the hot in the shade tour on their next proper tour but the remixes for me are, are just bad in my opinion too but the album cover, I don't have a problem with the album cover front or back. Um, but the way they drum, the way they just dumbed down those songs, I think is, as much as the album sold, I think it could have sold better had they, had they kept them true to their form as opposed to making them what they are. What are you showing me here? The the, the chart, chart positioning. Ah uh, yes, chart. 
So yeah. So, was so that's, my opinion. that's my opinion. I think with what was going on in music at the time, and and I think bands were getting heavier, and I think Kiss like just toned it down instead of bringing it up with what was what was trending at the point. And it's kind of disappointing, even though the album did so so well. And of course, let's put the X and Sex and make me rock hard. I can get rid of that. Mark. Mark. Yeah. Well. For me, I know everybody seems to talk about the first two songs, right? But I really had an issue with the the rest of the record, to be honest. I mean, out of the out of the songs that are on there, the only ones that didn't get remixed that I and I wrote this down just so that I was sure about this was that "Lick It Up," "Heaven's on Fire," "Tears Are Falling," and "I Was Made for Loving You" were the only ones that were not remixed off of the records so there's a lot of other songs here that did love gun detroit rock city i love it loud deuce rock and roll night shouted out loud strutter dr love i mean the thing that really bugged me about is when i first got this i got it through columbia records club i remember it got sent to me on cassette and i put it in my car and i was like oh cool let's put it in and the first and you know at this point i was really just a beginner with this whole you know audio recording stuff but i knew right away when i listened to it i was like What's wrong with their guitars? Like, especially on like Strutter and Deuce and stuff like that, they really softened the tone of the the the, the sound of the band. Like, and there was some really weird reverb they put on the drums. Like, especially on Deuce, I was when I listened to that. Even today, I listened back to it, and I was like, why are they putting this really bad reverb on the drums? Like, it just really seemed like they tried to soften their catalog to kind of make it more accessible for everybody and maybe in a sense that did work because like we all said earlier or you, sorry what uh, Julian said earlier it is their highest selling album right at this point right so it worked in that capacity because I do remember that the version of Rock and Roll Night that's on this album was played all the time on the radio in Toronto here like and even now when they play they play a lot of the times that version of it still on the radio, which kind of makes me scratch my head because they have so many different versions of it available to them now than the 97 remasters or you name them, dozen other compilations that they could take it from. And why are they playing it off of this all the time? I don't understand, but I just find that as, you know, as, as abysmal as the first two songs are, at least at that point, they were kind of a, you know, they were kind of par for the course at that time. But why they remixed all those classic songs, and to my, in my opinion, they didn't make it sound better. Like, I mean, Shout It Out Loud, for some reason, they turned up the piano more on that, especially in the chorus when you do that line, the bass line, where the piano follows the bass line. It's turned up a lot more in this version than it ever was on the original. And stuff like that, I just don't know why they did things to make it softer than rather more rocking that's really my biggest thing that i would have changed i would have left those things as they were you know of course i would agree with you guys to maybe put two better songs on at the beginning of the record obviously but i just think that they should have just left those songs as they were that's my biggest gripe of this record ken how about you okay so <laughs> no, I was looking at something on the internet because I was trying to remember because uh, I don't have it in front of me. But uh, at this, at the, around the same time, um, I believe uh, uh, Kiss in you know in Japan they had Chikara that was that was released right. It was, it was 
Yep. Was it 88? Yeah, that came out in May of that year. Okay, and to tell you the truth, I enjoyed that one. I had bought that one, and um, I enjoyed that much, much more. Um, It had some of the same songs on there. Um, It didn't have anything, the new ones that were throwaways. Um, It didn't have Beth, but it had... It had Rock and Roll All Night, of course, but it had um, I Was Made For Love New, the remix that's the, the 12-inch uh, single, the 756, 7 minutes and 56 uh, long. And uh, they had Creatures of the Night on their uh, remix. Uh, the I Love It Loud 85 remaster, I guess that's really a remix too, right? Um War Machines on there. Look it up. All Hell's Breaking Loose. Heaven's on Fire. Thrills in the Night. It's mostly the 80s stuff, uh, which which to me makes more sense um, because Double Platinum had all that, the early stuff, and uh, you really didn't need to put on, you know, some of the old stuff. Though they did, again, they threw Detroit Rock City, Rock and All Night, Love Gun um, on, on this album, on Chikara. So, I think they should have went that way um, instead of doing the smashes. Um, I think it would have still sold the same or better because I think people were looking for uh, a greatest hits compilation of their 80s stuff because you could just go back to, you know, double platinum, get most of their, their best stuff from the, uh, the early days. So, uh, I mean, otherwise smashes is yeah, it's okay. Um, but again, I would have rather uh, them just release Chikara also in the United States. Yeah, I, I think I I definitely got to agree that Chikara is a, a more you know kind of representative greatest hits of the '80s. When you've still got double platinum in print, you know if it was out of print, yeah. you can understand them and probably balancing a bit further towards the 70s and the 80s. But if you've already got a 70s compilation that's got those core albums represented, then Shikara, I, I would say, very well balances just giving you those four songs from the 70s and the other, what is it, 12, um, you know, are, are from the 80s, excluding Crazy Nights. So it's, it's a good it's, selection. If you want to represent the whole period from the beginning, usually do it in... It, you know, an anthology type thing, mm-hmm. right? So, hey, uh, Ken, who who was the like the producer, executive producer for Chikara? Does it say? Well, executive producer. Yeah, hey. like who 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 was who oversaw it? Because I'm just wondering because the whoever did a I'm just wondering if somebody did a different mix job for those songs there than the one that's on Smashes. Uh, see if I can find it here. I, I don't think there was even enough information in the booklet to determine that because. Oh really? Eh? Okay. Yeah. I'd have to go look it up. Yeah. Uh, I, I or look remember, at my uh, CD. I don't, I don't remember the booklet having booklet. anything that uh, I could decipher as being an executive producer, but well, it was probably someone at Polystar. Because I'm just, I just find it interesting that when Double Platinum came out, and whenever we would talk about that record, you know, sure people had issues a little bit with songs here and there, but not nearly as much I found with the remixing of those songs of like at that time than this album. You know what I mean? It just seems like Mike Stone and and Sean Delaney did a more better job, I think, of their remixing than 
whoever did the, this oh, yeah. batch, you know? Yeah, but 1978 was also closer sonically to 1976 and 1975. Yeah, 80, true. 80, 88 is a generation away, so um, I, I think probably a lot had changed. And, you know, someone like Sean Delaney probably had a lot more respect for the catalog, you know? Yeah, true. When, when he's talking about, you know, how does one remix, you know, Bob Ezrin, he is willing to kind of leave it alone more and just try and get an overall blend of the sonics of the different producers so that you've got the unified package whereas yeah. there's a full-scale reinvention you know they're change, changing the ingredients in the mixes on smashes remember people used to think that deuce was like an unreleased you know version because <laughs> of what had been done to it and you know you had more of the runout of that song from the original master tapes left in the remix version so it had you know, and like I think you said, Mark, that it's got a different feel and Strutter's got a, you know, yeah. the way they've been softened. So I, I think whoever did Shikar was more honest to the catalog and probably left the stuff a lot more alone than whoever, you know, did the rest of the tracks on um, Smashes. But I think also, whereas we talked about the case with Ron Nevison, that it was instructions from the band. I think that that was also the case with Smashes, that they were instructed to update the sound of these songs. That was the whole purpose, as you mm -hmm. know, was said. So is it successful looking back, you know, what, what are we, 28 years later? No. But it sold well throughout the time. It sold well as a package. So I think from Kiss's point of view, it would be mission accomplished. You know, here, here we are talking about smashes, thrashes, and hits, you know. <laughs> right. uh, so it's it's a win for the band, you know. It's their last platinum album, if I'm correct. And I think, yeah, I think it is. So, mm -hmm. wow, yeah, what a, what a bookend yeah. to your platinum career. <laughs> so I, I think you've, I, I can't remember which one of you guys said it, was that this kind of lays the groundwork for more of the classic songs to come out in, the next album's tour so hot in the shade i was so happy when this album came out i was excited i was <laughs> where was i i was living in singapore and oh. it, it was a real challenge to find it and i was so excited when i did and then i saw there were 15 songs in it and i was like okay this is not going to be like crazy nights all over again it can't possibly they can't do it to to me twice and you put on rise <laughs> to it and you're like, okay, cool. There's like a kind of, uh, I don't know, what, how do you describe, Mark, how do you describe the intro to Rise to It? Uh, it well, it's very, it's a bluesy, very bluesy, bluesy yeah. kind of based, very yeah. Cinderella. Cinderella. Yeah, yeah long, cold winter. I mean, you know, falling yeah. apart at the seams. So mm -hmm. I loved it. And I, I got to say, what are the changes that I would make to this album? I would prune out all of the fluff. There is so much filler on this album that you know oh, yeah. we could go th go through it and probably lose five tracks easily take prune it down to a 10 track album and get rid of some of the stuff that really as paul stanley has said should have been left as a demo which I mean, the whole album's demos <clears> but <throat> you know they, they should have been left on the cutting room floor and you know some of that stuff's his songs it's it's not a uh -huh. high it's not a high quality record there are a couple of gems buried in this album Obviously, Forever is going to be the, the standout track is the most commercially successful and, um, you know, the one that's got the most history. But 
there's stuff like betrayed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, loves a slap in the face. Ugh. Silver spoon. I'm gonna throw another Stanley one in there. Um, you know, Little Caesar, Boomerang, garbage for me. Could easily chop all of those and replace them with shock. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that's the main problem with this record, I would say, is that there's just so much on there, and a lot of it isn't even that good. And I mean, the thing that I find really interesting about this period is that they've openly said, and I've read in a lot of different books, and like even like the Behind the Mask book, they were saying that, you know, money wasn't exactly flowing at this point for them at this part of their career. So, you know... Hence why they went to the Fortress, which is known to be a demo recording studio to record, you know, and they they went in and pretty much just took their demos that they were all happy with and kind of fleshed them out and tried to make them into proper album sounding songs. And really, again, what this needed badly was a was a proper record producer, you know, and at this point, they had a many available to them at this point. You know, people, again, like Keith Olsen come to mind, Bob Rock at this point was on his own. He just did, you know, Dr. Feelgood and stuff like that. So he was high on the list. You know, Bo Hill, who did some of these other albums, like some pretty good rockin' records at that time when he did, you know, I think he did some Rat Records and stuff like that. And, yeah, he did you know, Det- he would Detonator. Fantastic album. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he would have been good to use. But I think, again, what crippled them from doing something like that was the money situation, I think. Because I remember Gene saying that, you know, he would haggle with, you know, industry people to get cheaper rates on two-inch tape. And he would haggle for this and that to make the recording costs cheaper for them because they just didn't have a lot of cash. And, I mean, if you're going to get Bow Hill or Bob Rock, believe me, you're going to be paying for it, right? So maybe that's why those people weren't in play at this point. But... Boy, did it ever sorely need it, because with left to their own devices at this point, we see what Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons' production gives us. Nothing too good, you know? I mean, they totally lucked out with the fact that Forever did as good as it did, because that's actually the only thing that springboarded them into a proper big tour, of which Whitesnake, ironically, I think, opened for them here in Canada, on the Canadian leg here, <laughs> which, and, which was funny, because when they played at the CNE Grandstand here, I heard lots of stories about the fact that when Whitesnake was done opening, that a lot of people started drifting out of the arena at that point. So, you know, I don't know how well the record did here in Canada, but I know Whitesnake did really well. And there's another Keith Olsen reference there. Maybe they should have, you know, talked to him afterwards, you know, about doing stuff with them in the future, because it sure as hell helped Whitesnake, you know? Yeah, the album went to 46 in Canada. So... A bit of a dud, mm. really, missing missing yeah. Top 40. And I was wrong with uh, Bo Hill and Detonator. He did Reach for the Sky. Got awful album. Mm. Uh, it was, <laughs> who was it? Pay- Payson, who did Detonator, which is a way better mm. album. Um, and I think also Kiss Open for Whitesnake at that show, because mm. I think Paul was yeah. bad-mouthing cover oh, really? was on, it? on stage. And uh, for not allowing him to, the Kiss to use all their pyro or something like that. I don't know. I don't. I don't have. Oh, my, really? I, don't, I don't have notes on that uh, <laughs> right now. But that, that's my recollection. Hot in the shade, Ken. Yeah, I have to agree with uh, with Mark. Um, I had written down that you know, fish the songs and and get a producer. <laughs> um, 
yeah, it's, it's a little too long. I, you know, everyone's trying to fit more on CDs. There's there's a lot more room to add music on CDs rather than, you know, vinyl, which you could do with vinyl. Um, so they were doing that. Um, let's just put as much as we can. It was like, well, we, you're getting more for your money. No, we're not really getting. <laughs> I want, you know, quality, not quantity. Um, so... And then the album cover, it's kind of, I mean, we've talked about the album covers before. Um, and we had some better ideas. Mark had a real good uh, idea about that one, about the, the sun tanning kind of thing. Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the the music, some of it's pretty good. I mean, uh, some of it I enjoy. Uh, maybe about half of it I enjoy. I would say if it's 50%. So it's fifty percent okay for me and the other, but again, it needs it needs a producer uh, to. I think pr- production-wise, if it would have helped a lot of those songs uh, stand out much, much it would have been stronger uh, than they appeared um, in their form. So that's you know, it's not one of my favorite albums. It's okay. I think I listen to it more than I do Crazy Nights. Um, <laughs> so. Those are kind of uh, on my lower end of the albums uh, for Kiss, but um, what does Lonnie have to say about it? Well, my problem, I'm with you there. My my biggest problem with, with Hot in the Shade is that it's too long. And just because you can fit 70-whatever minutes worth of music on a CD doesn't mean that you should. <laughs> exactly. That's and that's, and that's that, the, there's there's exhibit A right there. One of those ones you trim. You know, there there's exhibit A right there. I mean, why? Just because you can fit it on there doesn't mean that you should. You know, if you, if you trim this album down, like Julian was saying, to about ten songs, you could have a a pretty decent record, and I think it would be a record that a lot of people would respect even to this day. Um. Because when a lot of Kiss fans think about Hot in the Shade, what do they think about? They go, oh, God, there's some clunkers on there. Is the first thing a lot of people think of. Not that, oh, Forever's on there, and that Rise to It's on there, and Hydra Heart's on there. And there are some good songs on there. But the first thing you think of is how crappy King of Hearts and Little Caesar and Boomerang and some of the other crap that is that's on there. So my what I would do to fix this album is first of all, would be to trim it down to about 10 songs. And then, and this is one thing I'm surprised none of you said, is that I would change the freaking cover instead of having a Sphinx with sunglasses on. I think that's the most ridiculous-looking thing you could have possibly put on the album cover. I mentioned it several times. What? I mentioned (laughs) it several times before. I think he fell asleep during that. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. But But, like, yeah, we did say that because Ken said we've mentioned album covers in the past. Never mind. <laughs> I'm actually like I've been looking at the album cover for the last couple of months. I'm, I'm kind of liking it. I have the uh, I, when I went to the show, I have those sunglasses that say "Kiss" on the side. I bought those sunglasses. I still have them. But uh, the other thing I want to say, you know, with the length of the of the CD and the albums, they could have combined songs, Gene and Paul, and they could have put things you know how they combine songs and it makes it better makes it an, an anthem yeah. they could have they could have combined uh hide your heart and rise to it and made rise your heart 
Oh, Jesus. Just, just like <laughs> me. I, I managed not to say that today. That is and, never going to go away. That's just going to follow me around. <laughs> I thought, I thought Kent, you were going to say, like, they, they could have combined King of Hearts and um, Cadillac Dreams or something like that and made a really crappy song. <laughs> well, <laughs> they do have Read My Body on there, so, you know. I don't, I don't think they really need to compete that much. That should have been the hidden track. But I think one of the interesting things that we've said is that they needed a producer. So what the hell was Vinnie Ponce doing? Because... I don't know. You know, songwriting he, probably. Yeah, just... no songwriting, but his his names all over this, and I just don't think that you get the benefit of what he was good at out of him. You know, he may have helped out with the songwriting a bit, but it didn't really come through enough. So even the songs that he worked on are not that great. I mean, come on, he's got a credit on Silver Spoon, which is just an, <laughs> an, an, that's an abomination. That's up there with Read My Body and Bang Bang You for me personally. Um, you know, surely they could have thrown him a bone, and you know, if they had had someone in the studio to make them sound better, anything would have. Been you know, better. but you know what though? I I wonder though, where when when his uh, help was was uh, done, like was he with Paul, like maybe in his apartment writing the songs then, or was he actually in the studio with them? Because I mean, a lot of the times they could have wrote these songs outside the studio mm-hmm. with uh, with uh, with other writers or people like that, and then bring those songs into the studio and record them right mm-hmm. it would have been more beneficial for them and i would hate to think that they would had vinnie poncia in a studio with them and not say hey vinnie you know nudge nudge here go tr- go turn a few knobs that are on the board or something you know like you know get him to get involved a bit because you know as much as we knock the two records that he's made one of them did really really well for them yep. so why wouldn't they use them you know yeah, and I think when we do knock the records a little bit, I, I think everyone does respect the songwriting and the effort that was made on Dynasty and Unmasked. So, you know, it, it, sure that it was a, a change from what Kiss had been doing, but it was also some pretty well-crafted music regardless. So, But I think, you know, when they do their focus group after Hot in the Shade, you know, why do we have an album that stiffs at gold again? You know, when we the tour was a success, thank goodness for, you know, forever taking off and allowing them to get out there they had their best tour of the decade well yeah of the deck of no yeah they toured in 90 yeah. they toured in 90 of course um you know they still had a really good tour but a, their best tour in essence of the unmasked era so their focus groups tell them what they got to do and they do it with revenge lonnie lead us into revenge what would you change on revenge well, I have mentioned this before. One thing I would change on Revenge, and I lo- I really, really like the song, but I don't think it fits well on Revenge, and that's God Gave Rock and Roll to You. I don't think it fits well with the image the band is trying to portray in the first few songs with Unholy, Take It Off, Tough Love, Spit, and then God Gave Rock and Roll to You, and then go back in the domino. It kind of... I, and, I, and don't get me wrong, I really like the song, um, but it, it doesn't fit with the vibe of the record. And, and But I understand why it's on there, because it was a hit form off of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey soundtrack, and they wanted to, well, you, well, it was a hit, so we can throw it on here, and maybe it'll help sell a few more records, just because people know that that, 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 that song's on there. So I mean I I get it why it's on there but I don't I don't like the fact that it's on there 
Um, I, th- I think that either you you write another, either you put another song on there and leave that off, or just or make the album just one track less. Um, and the Car Jam, I'm not a real big fan of Car Jam '81. If they want to have a, a tribute to Eric Carr on the record, I mean, I, they dedicated the album to Eric, but um, I I think maybe if you wanted to have a tribute to Eric on that album instead of doing what they did and and reworking the guitars with with Bruce on there would be to maybe maybe release like a, a live drum solo from Eric or a live recording with with of Eric you know just so that Eric could have been documented in some kind of official um, audio release of him playing live in concert so that those are the two really things I would change is I would get rid of God gave rock and roll to you. And I'm not criticizing the song. I really like the song, but it doesn't, for me, it just doesn't fit the vibe of the record. And I would have paid homage to Eric Carr in a different way than the car jam 81. But other than that, the album in my, I, and I know you guys are going to say differently, but other than that, I think the album is fantastic and there's not anything I would change about it. Mark, thanks for all those videos. While Lonnie was talking, uh, what, what do you th- think about revenge? What would you change if anything? Well, I think Lonnie might be surprised with my answer here, but I actually think that this record, from a production point of view, is really, really excellent. I think Bob Ezrin redeemed himself, in my eyes, with this album. I mean, after the abomination that was the Elder, in that sense of what they went down, the path that they took, he really took them back to where they needed to be. And I think the only problem with this record apart from a few songs, I mean, I'm not too big on Spit or Heart of Chrome or songs like that. I mean, they're not terrible songs, but I just, I think they could have did a little bit better, considering they had Bob Ezrin, who's a top-notch songwriter guy, too, who could have maybe, I, I, I'm surprised that's, I'm honestly surprised that Spit got on there with somebody with Bob Ezrin there at the helm, honestly. But the, I think besides that, though, that I, I think that it it sounded good, but I think that they were a victim of bad timing with this record because at this point around there, I just think that if they would, if this record would have came out maybe I don't know a little bit beforehand, or maybe even later after the grunge you know phase, it would have probably, I think it would have caught on a bit better. I mean in '94 I believe it was Pantera came out with Far Beyond Driven and that was a huge record. It was like a number one Billboard record at that point. And that was really, really heavy. I mean, not to say that this is as heavy as that, but if they would have maybe released this record later and put it out then, I think it maybe would have did better if it wasn't battling with, you know, some of the up-and-coming grunge stuff that was going on at the time, you know? I think that it was just... a The album came out at the wrong time. If it would have came out at a different point, I think it would have did a lot better because while it did do well initially, I think what it was was all the core fans bought it and then after that it just tailed off and dropped off the charts you know yeah and obviously by then there weren't that many core fans left if it you know it struggled to gold it had no staying power again same thing that had happened on the previous tour that they're doing single after single in hopes that something takes so that they can really get out on the road and they get to the point where they just have to get out on the road and look what happens as a result they you know none of these songs had any traction in the market and it wasn't you can't blame blame polygram for that because they threw 
what was it four or five i mean some of them went, only went radio yeah. promo they they certainly gave the album as much as they could as much push and how many vi- there's four videos for it so yeah. you know it, it was just a, an album that's outside of its time for me spits the big problem child on this and it's just that song really does need Ezrin on the songwriting credits to get those spinal tap ones out i i, I think he really could have helped that song because most of it's okay it's just that one particular line that I really have a problem and the name of the song spit. I mean, it just doesn't resonate with me. So if Bob could have saved that or done something with it, just said, Gene, you know, there's a movie. (laughs) (laughs) You really don't, you really don't want to do this. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with God gave rock and roll to you on this. It does not fit. I agree with Lonnie on that. It totally clashes with everything else on there, but um, it's such a damn good song. It, 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 it really belongs on a Kiss album, so that Interscope isn't getting the sales for, you know, the 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 bogus soundtrack. Car Jam, I agree with you, Lonnie. Um, I I don't like it. I don't like what they did with it. I don't like updating it and taking Ace out of the equation, especially when it was his only drum solo that he'd cut in the studio with Ace. And I I understand why they did what they did to it because of breakout and the similarities and they didn't want any of that trouble probably and they also probably wanted to focus it down but i i think there would have been a much better way of paying tribute to eric and i like the live idea because again a live three without eric carr really bothers me to this day that you know the bombastic drummer who had you know been with them from unmasked all the way through the decade you know was never represented properly on a live album and yes he had animal live what is it live uncensored uh yeah. Animal yeah. same uh not the same as a live album and the full treatment so um the only other thing i would change Re- revenge is the front cover which again it's like urban camouflage like the elders brown wood was blending into nothingness mm-hmm. in, in, in the record stores into those wooden containers or you know that cassettes were you know it's just hidden it's just so bland i get the concept it, i don't have a problem with that but the band is just so photogenic in their toughened up look that i really yeah. think that they should have put them front and center on the front of the album and you know i'll leave it at that you know all the other songs there's you know one or two on there that i think okay that's not quite as good but it's just such a hard driving fantastically produced and you know created album it's extremely good you know that other than those two minor changes i'd I'd pretty much leave it as is ken i have to agree that uh the album cover could have been a little better that's for sure um but it wasn't it was better than hot in the shade (laughs) <laughs> cover as far as i'm concerned um but uh, yeah it was good um there's not not much wrong with this uh, i agree that god gave rock and roll to you should have been uh, to me i i would have put it at the as the last song on the on the album i i would have ended it that way i thought it would have been a, a nice ending to the album uh, as for the car jam yeah they could have i mean at the time it was sentimental kind of thing uh, when it came out and they it put on there it was kind of cool, um, but now uh, looking back, it, they probably just should have done something else um, with that. Um, otherwise, this album's great. I, I mean, I even like Spit, you know. <laughs> I, just, I do too. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, and and the, you know the the real good the, what the the two things that are really make this a great album is 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 one 
Kiss is not following. Um, you know, when they don't follow, they do. They they seem to make better music and better sounding albums. I don't know what it is. They're not really following anything uh, on this album. They're not purposely, I don't think, following anybody. Um, and then the second thing is Vinnie Vincent. Uh, you know, helping with the songwriting um, is another big key here too, which which helped um, and maybe spark spark them a little bit. Uh, so of course, Bob Ezrin's uh, production was is just you know fabulous, top notch. So not a whole lot wrong with this. It's a great album. I I enjoy it. No, hard, hard to fault a lot of what you said. I mean, it is really good. Um, we're getting on in time, so let's wrap up today with Alive Three, since we've talked about a live album, um, and, and it's really you know symbiotic with Revenge is Alive Three. It's just so tied up. Um, again, we get into for me, it's the album cover, the first thing that I see, and I just find it so uninspired, even compared to Alive Two, which is nothing special. Um, mm-hmm at least with Alive 2, you opened yeah. up that gatefold and you were blown away with the, the power yeah. and the glory. Yeah. Nice. Um, Alive 3, I'm not going to change anything. There, there's just, I think it's perfectly representative of what they were doing on that tour. I think it's well balanced. It's perfectly adequate. It's, it's good value for money. I would just have made the international version that included Take It Off, the one version released everywhere. I'm not going to add any songs and, and go through, you know, some of the stuff. I, I think uh, Parasite is one of the songs that um, is omitted. But I don't need it. Watching you's on there. I think they did an extremely good job of selecting what tracks did make that album. And other than the front cover, which, you know, I would flip it so that uh, you've got a little bit more focus on Miss Liberty there, the stage. Mm-hmm. I, I would have made that the front cover. Um, and, and that's it. You know, I, I just can't change much. Ken, go straight back to you on there. Yeah, the the cover is kind of lacking. I, I agree. The packaging is kind of lacking um, of Alive 3. Uh, I kind of expect it nice, yeah, gatefold, like the prior Alive albums um, would have been nice. Um, the other thing is... I didn't like the production sound-wise. I just, I don't like it. And I think if you ask Eddie Kramer, I think he said in interviews that he really didn't do a lot of his own production on it. I think the band had their their hands all over this one. And it was just, to me, a little bit too, uh, what is it, uh, compressed? Car heavy? Uh, something like that. It was just, just too, too much. Too, much uh, tr- too tinny, too much trouble. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I want a little separation on the on this on the sound, uh, the instruments. But yeah, that's the only thing. Uh, I mean, the songs. Uh, I agree with you. They should have uh, added "Take It Off" on there, um, like the other European version. Um, but uh, the songs are fine. It's just the production, in my opinion, that was really it brings it down for me. Mark, how about I change that? Well, I I think that uh, I kind of surprisingly echo a little bit of what Ken said. I mean, I I, I like the record. I think a lot of it is good. I just there's something about the production of it that kind of rubs me a little wrong with it. I just find that 
while Alive 2 was way too much audience mixed in with the music, I find with this record, there's not enough audience in spots, I find. I find once they start playing, it's just... It just seems like it's a studio recording with audience put in afterwards. It just seems like there's too much separating with that in there. They should have maybe left a little bit more crowd in it, I thought. But I also think that the the sound of the guitars, there's something with that in the upper mid-range of those guitars that sound a little odd on on certain stereo systems whenever I've listened to it. I Again, Eddie Kramer, and I've read those interviews as well with him saying that he really didn't have as much of a hand on this as people think. I think they just put him on there to kind of keep up with the whole Alive cachet. You know, Eddie Eddie Kramer and Alive, you know, it's like hand in hand, like peanut butter and jelly, right? So um, <laughs> I, I just think that they could have did a little bit better job with it. But the one thing that I would have changed for sure is I would have fired whoever was in charge of doing the inside credits for that because whoever yeah. kept screwing up those things who put I was made for loving you it was off a dress to kill they need to be slapped because not only did they do it then but it was also done on the 97 thing and it was also done now on the 2014 vinyl ones they didn't change it either so I don't know what they're doing but they still leave the same mistakes in there through the whole you know lineage of this record you know mm -hmm. why can't they change that why can't they fix that you know I mean come on guys I mean this is your history you're talking about. I know it's bad enough Paul doesn't know what albums his songs are on live, but I mean, somebody had Polygram and them should, you know. Everything's <laughs> off alive. Every <laughs> yeah, I know. Every That's what he seems to do all the time. When he doesn't know, he, he always refers back to alive. Cold Gin's off of alive, or, you know, come on. You know, it's just, I, I just think that this record could have been a lot more for what, you know, we expected. You know, I mean, it could have been, a little bit better mixed and i think that would have been it because the song selections were good you know i thought that their performances were good this is the band at its peak i think that performance wise they are in top gear at this point i mean you you, you don't want to follow kiss at this point i think on stage because they're just on fire especially since eric singer joined in and since bruce kulik finally found his feet by this point you know they 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 were unbelievable at this point. It's just I wish they would have had a slightly better mixed record to represent that. I've been watching the Kissology Volume Three, Palace of Auburn Hills show a lot in the last week. What do you guys think of that? You know, just as a comparison, do you like that any better in terms yes. of its sound? I like the way they sound on that better than they do on a live three. Yeah, yeah. I, I, even have a, three. I think it's a better representation of what the band sounded like at that at that point in their career. I have a bo I have a few board tapes from this tour that think I think sound better than mm -hmm. what the live three is, you know. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, this is actually a tour where they're you know even though it was a, a bomb of a tour, there are some extremely good shows and some absolutely stunning performances by the band. I think what you said was that they're a powerhouse at this time, and it, it absolutely comes through in the material. Um, one thing I hadn't said about you know mine was I, i'd broken my leg badly at the time when i uh, mm -hmm. when i got this and actually my mom got it for me and brought it to me at university i'm like can you get me the kiss album i, I was absolutely coked up on meds <laughs> and i loved it so i didn't notice anything wrong with the sound and i, I still don't actually <laughs> but uh the kissology one does sound better lonnie back to you on what would you change on the album well i'm i'm going to disagree with you guys on on a couple things i would have made it and I know money was an issue at the time, and that's why it's 
probably a single disc and not a double disc, but I would have liked to have seen more um, songs that they played on that tour represented on this album. I would have liked to have seen Parasite. I would have liked to have seen War Machine was a big part of that mm-hmm. set list um, with the Statue of Liberty's face crumbling at, you know, in the middle of that song. Um, you know, so I would I would like to have seen and War Machine isn't on. You know the the other two alives. I mean, it was a song that was recorded after Alive One and Two. So I would I would have liked to have seen that on there, and then. You know, in the encore, they did play "Shout Out Loud" and "Love Gun," and I, I think if we would have, I think I would have liked the. I mean, I like the album, but I think I would have liked it even more had we've gotten um, more of the the whole set list that Kiss was playing at the time, especially "War Machine" and and "Parasite." I, I I think those are noticeably missing from from the track listing. So that that's the main thing I would have done, but. To echo, you know what you were saying earlier about the Detroit show. I think I think they do sound a lot better um, on that Detroit show off a of Kissology than than what they do on on the record itself. But you know the the band itself was really, in my opinion, it might have been the best the band ever sounded live was that Revenge era lineup. And especially look at like you get like that bonus disc on Kissology three of them playing in South America, and they are just fire yeah. that might be my favorite thing that might be one of my favorite kiss maybe my top favorite kiss video to watch is them playing in south america 94 they are just unbelievable how good they sound i mean in my opinion and and i've and i've said it on the show before i mean i i thought that i was part of me was a little disappointed in 96 and they put back on the makeup because i knew that i was going to get to see this version of the band because i thought they sounded and i thought the band sounded phenomenal I thought they looked great, and you know, and I knew that would never come back. But that's as far as Alive Three goes. Yeah, and I'm going to echo your sentiment about the cover too. The cover is just atrocious, and I think Julian has a great idea. You just flip them and put that back cover on front, and show that Statue of Liberty on the front. And you remember North America? Remember United States in '94, coming off the Gulf War? People are the country is a lot more unified then than it is now. <laughs> yeah. People are a lot more patriotic then than they are now too. I think it. It would have made a, a much bolder um, and more respected statement by by flipping the cover like that. Also, so I would have made it. A, I would have made it a double album, and I know money's an issue. And that's probably why it's not. But and I would have flipped that cover too. Of course, they would have had to have blown up Eric and made him ten ten times larger, as they do on all Kiss live albums. I mean, have you seen that Alive Four album cover? Yeah, seen the Alive oh. Four on what they did on the Vegas uh, Kiss Rocks Vegas cover. Awesome. Mm. The gig- the gigantic drummer. Yeah, that's right. All right, and, uh, it's not to scale. Not to not to scale by any means. <laughs> and I'm just looking back at the. Uh, I've just gone and checked out the t- freaking 23 song set list from Detroit '92. The full thing. Oh my awesome. god. Yeah, that was extraordinary and. I'm freaking bummed I missed it, but that's life. Me too. Yeah. Can't do it. Okay, so I think that's a, a good place to good end. Break. I think we'll have to do a part four of this to cover the uh, next albums in the in the sequence. But, uh, you know, we've, we've gone through some of the changes that we'd like to make. We've talked about producers, the sounds, the sonics, the, the duds of songs, uh, album covers. You know all facets of what makes an album an album. What are the sort of changes that you guys would like to make to 
you know, some of the albums that we've talked about today, why don't you chime in on the thread on the Kiss FAQ message board or on Facebook or on YouTube and let us know your thoughts because, you know, we'd like to have a conversation about these things. And, uh, you know, tell us anything that you think that we missed. Uh, there's always something egregious to someone that we have not commented on. And, and yeah. th those are the comments that we love the most. So do let us know. But we do appreciate you listening to us today, and we will catch you next time. So from us all, see you next time. Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.